What's up, everybody? How you doing? Welcome back to the show. It is time for another brand new episode of the Politics and Punk Rock Podcasts. I am Andrew for America. I want to start the show today by letting you guys know the one and only Atmosphere is about to play a show here in Minneapolis at First Avenue. And I'm probably going to go catch that show. Pretty pretty big fan of Atmosphere. Uh, Atmosphere has one of my favorite lines, one of my favorite little lyrics of any song I've ever heard in my life, and it reminds me of me. So I'm going to share it with you right now. My fans know me better than my friends do because my friends don't pay that much attention. My fans memorize every single sentence which makes them far too smart to start a friendship. (laughs) Oh boy. I don't know if you guys know who Atmosphere is. If you don't, I don't know what you're doing. But you got to go check out Atmosphere. Some of the best uh, music to ever come out of Minneapolis. And there are others, of course. Obviously. Lots of great musicians here in uh, Minneapolis. Um, I, I'm, I, I promised myself I wasn't going to talk about Joe Rogan anymore. But the Joe Rogan story has taken a turn, and I I, I have to bring it up because it just, it is a perfect story. It is a perfect real-time happening in the here and now example of what I have been trying to warn you people about since episode one about this brave new Orwellian surveillance police state censorship They're coming after us, people. They're coming after Joe Rogan. They now... Somebody has made a compilation of him using the N-word, apparently. Uh, He came out and made a video speaking about it, saying, you know, this is why I use the word in these uh, situations. Uh, It was within a certain context. I'm not trying to be a racist person. Uh, He said that I know that it doesn't matter because no matter how you slice it, it sounds horrible. And I'm apologizing to everybody, uh, yada, yada, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Cancel culture, people. That's what the progressive left does. And I don't want to come after just the progressive left uh, because I feel like it's becoming just normal in our society now. This cancel culture big tech censoring bullshit world that we're moving towards. It's just gross. You guys want to live in a world like that? Where freedom of speech is going away? You can't even talk freely anymore? Without them coming and shutting down independent, rational thought, controversial conversations? Scary. It is a scary, scary time to be alive. And in the spirit of cancel culture coming after Joe Rogan, 
uh, deleting some of his episodes. I think Spotify caved, and they deleted some of his more controversial episodes. And he's under contract, so it's not like he has a choice. He knew what he was doing when he moved to Spotify. And I'm starting to think maybe he was controlled opposition. Maybe that theory about Rogan being controlled opposition by the big club people. I'm starting to wonder if they're not using him as, uh, you know, an example of a narrative that they want to push that he caved. I mean, he had to. He had to apologize for using the N-word. He had to apologize for some horrible comments. That he's made in the past. And I don't know if he would have done that had he not been on Spotify. I don't know if he would have done that had he still had his show uh, being independent. And I don't know if anyone would give a shit or would have ever went after him had he not been as fucking successful as he is. It's kind of like... When you're the champ in the UFC or the champ in the WWE or the champ boxer, when you got the title and you're at the top, you know, winning the title, they always say, is the easy part. Keeping the title, that's very difficult. And when you're on top, you got a, you got a target on your back. Everybody's gunning for you. And I think that's what's happening. Joe Rogan was the champ, the world heavyweight podcasting champion. They're coming after him. Other streaming services want to compete with Spotify. It's a psychological operation, people. This is a uh, premeditated set of actions perpetrated for the purpose of effecting Market behavior. Follow the money. That's what's happening. They're coming after Rogan. People want some of his market share. People want some of that pot of cash he's bringing home every month. And if they got to use racism and toxic masculinity as scapegoats, and they can you know, deploy their censorship brigade and their cancel culture, war, social justice warriors... On anybody that they don't like. It's just a sad, disgusting, gross, pathetic world, country that I'm living in. And it makes me sick to my fucking stomach. It fucking pisses me off. I'm going to get real right now with you people. It fucking pisses me off. That I live in a country full of little fucking chicken shit, no balls, no spine, no backbone, little fucking beta men bitches that have to cry and whine and act like little petulant children with no shame, no dignity, no self-respect. How demoralized and just beaten down, how heavily medicated, how much anxiety and bipolar disorder and all this other bullshit mental health issues are we all experiencing? What level, what level has it sunk to? How has it gotten so bad? I think it's all by design. I think it's the communist subversion plan incarnate 
happening in the here and now. I think it's just one facet of many facets of the big club's big plan. And so, with that being said, I'm going to talk about something which I intend it to be a big fuck you to the progressive left, to cancel culture, to the censorship police, to the petulant little whiny crybaby little bitch beta boy that can't fight with their fists. They got to fight with their computers and their fucking whining bitchy crybaby bullshit. It's just gross. So if you're going to go out into the world and start calling people racist, sexist, misogynist, etc., I got something I want to tell you about that you probably don't know about. So like I've said before, all of you, all you righties out there, all you lefties, all you centrists, communists, anarchists, minarchists, libertarians, etc., etc., etc. This is for all of you. Take a listen to this awesome clip. Karl Marx was a horrific racist, and we've got the quotes to prove it. Justin, cancel culture is in full swing. Do you think that they'll cancel Marx if uh, they hear these quotes? Well, they should. Um, actually, you know, that's an interesting question. If they hear these quotes, that's a nice little caveat you slipped in there. Um, because I don't think most people will hear these quotes who are on the left. Um, I don't think Marxists want to hear these quotes. I don't think anybody in the media is going to give them these quotes. So if they were to hear them, though, would they cancel Marx? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, I actually think they might because they're that bad. Right. <laughs> they're really bad. Yeah, so this article that I got here, which you can find at StoppingSocialism.com, it's actually one of the more popular ones that we put up on our Facebook uh, page. Karl Marx was a horrific racist. Here are the quotes to prove it. Uh, it starts off just kind of talking about how this his sentiments aren't necessarily disconnected from his socialist worldview. But then it kind of goes through just a list of his quotes from his writings. And I, I, Justin, I'm kind of we do a lot of these videos, but I'm kind of stuck. I don't want to read these quotes. <laughs> They're horrible. They're I mean, really... A lot of them are at the expense of, of Jewish people, but like, I, I, there's not a whole lot that uh, is spared from his wrath in these Yeah, quotes. no, no. Karl Marx did not... It turns out Karl Marx didn't like a lot of different groups of people. Um, he, he didn't like Jews. You pointed that out. Uh, he really didn't like Jews. Yeah. Um, he didn't like Slavic people. He was very anti-Slavs. <laughs> which I didn't even know was really a thing, but apparently that was a thing in Germany in the 1800s. Um, he doesn't like black folks. That's, that's for sure. Um, there's a whole bunch of people in here who he goes after. Um, there's no question about it. Some of these things, um, I think he may be anti-Catholic, but it's hard to tell. He's very anti-religious in general, so it wouldn't surprise me if that was the case. Um, some of these quotes I would love to read, but just can't. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because they're that bad. Right. So we're going to try to stick to the ones that I think are actually possible to read without, you know, having your house burned down by protesters. 
or something. So, so Mark says uh, that, you know, obviously he believed that there would be a point where there'd be no need for nations because the workers of the world could unite without the need for countries. But before that could happen, the backwards people of the world would need to be eliminated or join the worldwide revolution for communism. He believed that this was inevitable and scientifically proven. Karl Marx seemed to be a man of science. Uh, all right. I'm going to go for one of these. Viewers, uh, trigger warning. I, I apologize in advance. Okay, okay. Did you like that setup? Guess what? Fuck the trigger warning. I'm going to read every single one of these quotes right now. I'm going to read all of them. Because I want you people to understand how bad of, <laughs> of a racist your social justice warrior progressive left fewer Karl Marx. I'm going to tell you right now, by example, I'm going to show you a few examples of how much of a racist your favorite Karl Marx was. Are you ready? <laughs> And you know what? You know, I know what I really want you people to do. I actually want you guys to record this part. Record these quotes that I'm about to read to you that are from Karl Marx's own mouth, from his own writings. And if you don't feel that you want to cancel Karl Marx after you listen to me read these quotes to you, then guess what? You're a bunch of fucking hypocrites. And your worldview is a fucking joke. I'm not going to be nice today, people. I'm not going to be merciful. The time for being nice about this shit is over, in my opinion. Can cancel culture and censorship came after Joe Rogan. And... I said it in my interview with Matt from the Great Deception Podcast. I said, they're coming after us. If they come after Rogan and he caves and Spotify caves, it's over. The Bill of Rights has been usurped. You do not live in a free country anymore, my fellow Americans. It's all gone. Everything that was built for you, gone. When that woman said to Benjamin Franklin after he left the Continental Congress or the Constitutional Convention or whatever it was, whatever it was, she says, what have you given us here today, sir? He says, a republic, madam, if you can keep it. We didn't keep it, my fellow Americans. We didn't keep it. We flushed it down the fucking toilet. For what? For what? Are you happy? Are you proud? If you don't look in the mirror as, as an American citizen and say to yourself, my inaction and my cowardice and my fear of doing what's right and participating in my society and being aware of what's going on in politics and being aware of what Living in a free society, a constitutional republic, a democracy means. It means you have to know who the candidates are. It means you have to vote. It means you have to practice tolerance and practice religious freedom. Agree with religious freedom, even if you don't like it. 
that the guy next to your neighbor practices another religion. Doesn't matter. You have to deal with it. You have to practice tolerance. It's a free society. We can all do whatever the fuck we want to do. Or at least we could at one point in time. But the enlightenment, it's over, people. The development of self, the bettering of yourself, it's over. This country is in in decline. We are moving toward a new dark age. And you fucking useful idiot, social justice warrior, dipshits, that Yuri Bezmenov said are going to facilitate the function of destabilizing a nation. And then once you've succeeded, you bring the country into crisis, and then somewhere in the future after the assimilation and the murder and the genocide, the genocide, then, you know, you've reached normalization, and it's a new world under a new regime. And everything you thought you knew and everything you thought was the way it was in your society is now gone. And people, I'm here to tell you, it's fucking coming. Martin Niemöller, you guys better go read that quote. First they came for the trade unionists. I didn't speak out because I wasn't a trade unionist. Then they came for the communists. I didn't speak out because I wasn't a communist. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about the jackboots kicking in your door. The police state. The totalitarian dictatorship. The communists. The fascists. Whatever fucking word you want to put on it. They're coming soon, people. If you don't do anything about it. It's coming. Martin Luther King. Forget the exact verbatim quote, but... He said, you know, it's not it's not the actions of our enemies that we will remember. It was the inaction or the silence of our friends. And that reminds me of that quote I ran by at the beginning of the show today. Atmosphere. My fans know me better than my friends do. Keep your friends close and your enemies closer, right? Know your enemy. Sun Tzu, the art of war, all that bullshit, right? Right? Got to know tactics. You got to know strategy. You got to decide who you are. You got to choose what kind of person you're going to be. And if you want to be a little beta boy, whiny crybaby, little immature, sniveling little bitch human being in your short uh, time, on this planet? Cancel culture, censorship, brigade, you want to come after me? Go fuck yourself. I say a lot of shit that I probably shouldn't say. I can lose my temper. But typically when I lose my temper, it's for a pretty good reason. Let's read some quotes from you progressive lefty's favorite historical figure, Mr. Karl Marx. And after I read this stuff to you people, if you pretend you didn't hear it and you act like you didn't listen, pretending that you're still, you know, I love Karl Marx. Speaking of this, you guys know about Che Guevara? I see you college kids walking around with Che Guevara shirts on. Dude, that guy was anti-gay. He was a murderer. He was a rapist. He was probably a racist. 
go look up his quotes. When I see <laughs> when I see social justice warriors walking around, little 19, 20-year-old kids with Che Guevara shirts on, great, do whatever you want to do. It's a free country, right? It's a free country. You can wear whatever the fuck you want to wear. You can drink whatever you want to drink, smoke whatever you want to smoke. Just don't steal from me and don't hurt me. I don't think keeping a society together is really that difficult. You know what makes it difficult? Government. Government control. The power elite. The big club. The most evil, most psychopathic piece of shit human beings that just so happen to have a lot of money and a lot of power amongst us. That's usually the people that end up being in charge. It's human nature, people. All right, here we go. Karl Marx was a horrific racist. <laughs> Get ready to cancel Karl Marx, you progressive lefty. Cancel culture, identity politics, social justice warrior, CRT, bitch human beings. You're just a bunch of little bitches. And you have no concept of the real world. Sadly, in today's world, the term racist is lobbed at people with reckless abandon. This is not to say that there aren't real racists in our midst. But the benchmark for accusing someone of racism has become woefully low in our current climate. Yet, somehow, as radical leftists tear down statues of everyone and anything the mob thinks represents racist attitudes, including statues commemorating the end of slavery, <laughs> Karl Marx... A clear-cut racist has evaded the woke mob's wrath. Their tactics, when deployed on others, are totally fine, morally correct in their minds. But when people on their own team do this shit, they look the other way, pretend it didn't happen, don't exercise intellectual honesty, because it's not intellectually honest. To not change your opinion when you see that your own behavior is exactly the same as the person you're going after and trying to cancel and trying to censor. You are no different. We are no different because we're all human beings, people. We all make the same mistakes. Nobody's better than anybody else just because you didn't let a racial slur slip out of your mouth once upon a time in your life. Or you didn't say an asshole thing to your significant other at one point in time in your life. People, you got to let each other make mistakes. You got to practice tolerance. Because one day, you're going to get it. Your own bullshit mentality and philosophy is going to get flipped and they're going to come after you. They came after Whoopi. Whoopi Goldberg, she just said some shit on The View she probably wouldn't have said. She should have probably been canceled a long time ago. But you know, hey, when you're on the right side of the aisle, right? When, you, when you know, the socialists and the progressives got the culture right now. I've talked about that at length. Ever since George W. Bush. So if you Republicans out there got a problem with what you're witnessing 
in the society today and why this cancel culture identity politics bullshit exists, it's because George W. Bush destroyed the credibility of the Republican Party. So you want to point a finger at why all this shit's happening? That's part of it. George W. Bush destroyed the right's credibility. And then you got Obama, and Obama just... <laughs> Obama just carried on the big club's plan. You know, he's going to parties dressed like, you know, Ball and Moloch and... Are you fucking kidding me? You don't think that guy's in the big club? And I would make the argument that he's actually the President of the United States right now. I think he's controlling Biden. In fact, I don't know if you guys know this, but Jen Psaki was asked in an interview, you know, what is it like working for the uh, president? And she said, oh, God, I really, I've, you know, really enjoyed my time working for President Obama. I mean, President Biden. She, like, lets Obama slip somehow. Talk about a Freudian slip that is fodder for conspiracy theories. <laughs> oh, boy. It's bizarre world. It's opposite parallel universe world. It's the inversion of everything uh, good uh, magic versus evil magic is what's happening, people. If they can make you commit, if they can make you believe in absurdities, they can make you commit atrocities. We've never been so propagandized and manipulated. No society has been just mind-fucked and manipulated on such a level. They did a pretty good job in Nazi Germany. And they're doing a great job here in the United States in the modern era. History repeats itself. And those who fail to learn from history are condemned to repeat that history. It's almost like a broken record. Before we get to the quotes, it's worth noting that for Marx, racism wasn't separate or contradictory from his ideological socialist views. Mark believed, Marx believed, as many of the quotes below will illustrate, that for progress, quote-unquote, to occur, some ethnic groups and nations had to be swallowed up by more powerful groups. And people, that's exactly what this BLM movement believes. That's exactly what a lot of these progressive, fundamentalist, left-wing, nutjob groups and organizations believe. They definitely believe you got we got to kill off the baby boomers and the Gen Xers, probably. My, my generation's probably next. And then they're going to re-educate the upcoming children. Oh, there are children. We're going to tell them that pedophilia is fine. And, uh, you know, it takes a village to raise a, a child. And uh, it's just going to be one big commune where nobody ever, you know, I don't know, has to face consequences and responsibilities. Sounds like a fairy tale to me. Of course, Marx believed there would eventually be no need for nations because the workers of the world could unite without the need for countries. But before that could happen, the backwards peoples of the world would need to be eliminated or join the worldwide revolution for communism. This is inevitable and scientifically proven, Marx believed. And if you don't think that's not the big club's new world order, one world socialist communist dictatorship, police state world, the socialist, uh, I'm sorry, the communist subversion plan Yuri Bezmenov talked about, I said in a previous podcast, I think in one of the interviews, I said that's not just a plan for uh, the Soviet Union. 
That's a plan for the world, people. It's a plan for the world. And you're witnessing it being proven before your very eyes right now in the world that you and I live in together. Below are several quotes illustrating Marx's racism. Although it should be without saying, please note that we at StoppingSocialism.com, which is where this video came from and these this list comes from, they believe the following quotes are reprehensible, and I couldn't agree more. These quotes are reprehensible. They're so reprehensible that if you really believe in your ideological bullshit, social justice warrior, progressive lefties out there, you're going to want to cancel Karl Marx. But I bet you won't. I bet you fucking won't. You know why? Because he's on your team. He's the leader of your team. Allegedly. <laughs> Karl Marx was a big club member in his day, people. In the future, the political divide will no longer be between Republicans and Democrats. It will be between authoritarians and libertarians. Pretty sure that was Orwell. Could be wrong. So people, if you're on the side of Karl Marx, I'm here to tell you, you're on the side of the big club, the multinational corporations that are keeping you corporate wage slaves, inflating the currency, robbing you of your buying power, robbing you of your retirement. And the way that they're doing it is through the Federal Reserve. We have no more gold standard. It's been this way for years and years and years now. Ever since 1913, 1914. Here we go. Strap on your seatbelts. Let's, uh, it's time to cancel Karl Marx. <laughs> the socialist racist. Here we go. Quote. This is from Karl Marx on the Jewish question from the year 1844. What is the worldly religion of the Jew? Huckstering? What is his worldly God? Money? Money is the jealous God of Israel, in the face of which no other God may exist. Money degrades all the gods of man and turns them into commodities. The bill of exchange is the real God of the Jew. His God is only an illusory bill of exchange. The chimerical nationality of the Jew is the nationality of the merchant, of the man of money in general. Unquote. Sounds like something uh, uh, Adolf Hitler would say, doesn't it? Mm -mm. That was Karl Marx, people. Okay? So Karl Marx is anti-Semitic. <laughs> Fact! Not allegedly. Fact. We going to cancel Karl Marx, people? Karl Marx is anti-Semitic. He doesn't like Jews. Quote, This splendid territory, the Balkans, has the misfortune to be inhabited by a conglomerate of different races and nationalities, of which it is hard to say which is the least fit for progress and civilization. Slavonians, Greeks, 
Wallachians, Arnots, twelve millions of men are all held in submission by one million of the Turks. And up to a recent period, it appeared doubtful whether of all these different races, the Turks were not the most competent to hold the supremacy, which, in such a mixed population, could not but accrue to one of these nationalities. That was from Karl Marx, The Russian Menace to Europe, 1853. Okay? Lots of groups of people. Marx is talking down to. Sounds pretty racist, don't you think, progressive lefties out there? I think it's time we cancel Karl Marx. And this one's, this one's tough. I'm going to not say the words in this one uh, because I'm not going to make the same mistake Rogan did by actually saying the word out loud. I'm not that stupid. Quote, this is Karl Marx, people, not my words. I am currently quoting Karl Marx, okay? This is from Karl Marx to Friedrich Engels in Manchester in a letter from 1862. Are you ready, lefties? Quote, The Jewish N-word, LaSalle, who I'm glad to say is leaving at the end of this week, has happily lost another 5,000 tailors in an ill-judged speculation. The chap would sooner throw money down the drain than lend it to a friend, even though his interest and capital were guaranteed. It is now quite plain to me, as the shape of his head and the way his hair grows also testify, that he has descended from the N-words who accompanied Moses' flight from Egypt, unless his mother or paternal uh, grandmother interbred with a N-word. Now, this blend of Jewishness and Germanness, on the one hand, and basic... Uh, N-word stock, on the other hand, must inevitably give rise to a peculiar product, meaning he didn't want whites and blacks interbreeding. The fellow's importunity is also like the N-words. Karl Marx, 1862. Not only did he say the N-word, he said the Jewish N-word. This guy sounds like a white supremacist, people. Have you ever thought about that? Progressive lefties out there? Have you ever thought about if you actually had half the brain and half the balls to learn your history, you might stumble upon realities irrefutable realities that you can't pretend you didn't learn. Dear the modern left, your God, your socialist communist Fuhrer, Karl Marx, was a fucking racist. I think it's time we cancel Karl Marx. Here's another one. Another letter from Marx to Ingalls, August 7th, 1866. Tremont proved that the common N-word type is the degenerate form of a much higher one, 
a very significant advance over Darwin, unquote. Karl Marx. I don't know who Trumeau is. Maybe do some homework and go find out. But whoever this Trumeau guy is, Marx thinks proved that black people are a, he said, he said the word degenerate form of a much higher one, a very significant advance over Darwin. He's talking about Charles Darwin. He's talking about survival of the fittest. I think it's time we cancel Karl Marx, people. Quote, without slavery, North America, the most progressive of all countries, would be transformed into a patriarchal society, country. Wipe out North America from the map of the world and you will have anarchy. The complete decay of modern commerce and civilization. Abolish slavery and you will have wiped America off the map of nations. Karl Marx, The Poverty of Philosophy, 1847. Yeah. Quote, Take Amsterdam, for instance, a city harboring many of the worst descendants of the Jews whom Ferdinand and Isabella drove out of Spain and who, after lingering a while in Portugal, were driven out of there too and eventually found a place of retreat in Holland. Here and there and everywhere that a little capital court's investment there is over there is ever one of these little Jews ready to make a little suggestion or place a little bit of a loan. The sm- uh, smartest highwayman in the Abruzzi is not better posted about the locale of the hard cash in a traveler's valise or pocket than these little Jews, he says, ab- uh, about any loose capital in the hands of a trader. These small Jewish agents drew their supplies from the big Jewish houses and practiced great ostensible devotion to the religion of their race. Unquote. Karl Marx from the Russian Loan, 1856. People, I think it's time we cancel Karl Marx. Quote, Thus we find every tyrant backed by a Jew, as is every pope by a Jesuit. In truth, the cravings of oppressors would be hopeless, and the practicability of war out of the question if there were not any army of Jesuits to smother thought and a handful of Jews to ransack pockets. The fact that 1850... I'm sorry, the fact that 1,855 years ago, Christ drove the Jewish money changers out of the temple and that the money changers of our age enlisted on the side of tyranny happen again to be Jews is perhaps no more than a historic coincidence. Unquote Karl Marx, The Russian Loan, 1856. People, when are we going to cancel Karl Marx? I say... Karl Marx is censored, henceforth. I say we delete the Communist Manifesto. I say we delete the Marx-Ingels Reader. I say we delete Das Kapital. Anything that's ever come out of the man's mouth. Karl Marx was the biggest, most disgusting, racist, sexist, misogynist probably ever in the human race. 
So it's time, right? It's time to cancel the guy. Progressive lefties. I'm joining your team. I'm coming I'm coming aboard. I want to be a social justice warrior because I want to cancel Karl Marx. Where do I sign up? <laughs> Quote, the expulsion of a leper people from Egypt at the head of whom was an Egyptian priest named Moses. Lazarus the leper is also the basic type of a Jew. Karl Marx, in a letter to Friedrich Engels, May 10th, 1861. I think it's time we cancel Karl Marx. Quote, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were fantasy mongers that the Israelites were idolaters that the tribe of Simeon, exiled under Saul, had moved to Mecca, where they built a heathenish temple <coughs> excuse me, and worshipped stones. Unquote. Karl Marx, Letter to Ingalls, June 16th, 1864. So now he's an anti-Muslim. Marx didn't like Muslims. I think it's time we cancel Karl Marx, don't you think? Quote, Indian society has no history at all, at least no known history. What we shall call its history is but the history of the successive invaders who founded their empire on the passive basis of that unresisting and unchanging society. Karl Marx and the New York Daily Tribune, August 8th, 1853. So I guess he's not really talking shit about Indian people in that quote. But he is saying that they've allowed themselves to be constantly invaded. So I think you constru could construe that as looking at them as lesser than. Have you lefties ever considered the possibility that Karl Marx was a white supremacist? Has it ever crossed your mind? Are you able to put historical figures from the past into the historical context of the time that they lived? Are you capable of doing that? Because if you're not, I highly recommend you shut your fucking mouths and grow up and go buy books and put your face in them and read them until you fucking get it. Because you're destroying this country. Quote, Russia is a name usurped by the Muscovites. They are not Slavs, do not belong at all to the Indo-German race, but are desintrus, intruders, who must again he hurled back beyond the dreeper, etc. Karl Marx, Letter to Friedrich Engels, June 24th, 1865. I think it's time we cancel Karl Marx, don't you think? And this article, the person that compiled these Karl Marx quotes, his name is Chris Talgo. You can eat, if, if you want to cancel Chris Talgo, go ahead. C. Talgo at heartland.org is an editor and research fellow at the Heartland Institute and a researcher and editor at stoppingsocialism.com. Okay, cancel culture, you want to come after me for reading quotes from Karl Marx's own mouth? Cool, come cancel me. But you can't cancel me without also canceling Karl Marx. <laughs>
My plan worked to perfection. I fucking got you. I outsmarted you stupid morons. What better way to purposely try to get canceled by reading quotes from Karl Marx's own mouth? (laughs) I have no ego in this. I'm doing this for the greater good. I'm doing this for all of us. We're all brothers and sisters, right? We're all comrades. Socialism is about inclusion and acceptance (laughs) and tolerance. (laughs) Oh, what a fucking joke. I have never seen such a perfect example of the word hypocrite in my entire life. I'm not even a conservative, people. I'm not a right-winger. I'm not attacking the left because I'm a person from the right. I'm just a common-sense thinker. And I'm willing to cooperate. But see, you you progressive lefties aren't capable of cooperation or tolerance or intelligence or understanding. So it's so if it's a fight you want want, then a fight you shall have. Come cancel me. I double dog dare ya. <laughs> I'm gonna take a break. I'll be right back. that a friend of mine sent me and I was thinking about this given the topic today cancel Karl Marx like I know I go after you progressives all the time and I know I get redundant and I should probably quit I said I was going to turn over a new leaf uh but there's just something about this mentality and this ideology that makes me I, I, I really feel like some of you people are getting hoodwinked I really feel like you just don't see the reality that is staring you in the face. And I know we all, you know, are on our own quests. I know I've I've said it before that you know, you got to help each other out. All of us are on different points uh on our quest. Some of us are really advanced and have been uh on the quest for a very long time. Some of us haven't even started yet. Some of us just started. And are just trying to navigate and find good places to find good information. They have good hearts. They have no hidden agendas. And they're not trying to be Machiavellian and have their team win. They can rise above herd mentality and hive mind. And that's what I'm asking you progressive lefties to do. I'm asking you to think outside of your little tiny elitist holier than thou. I'm a part of this cool group, this cool club. I'm in the club. And I, I don't understand what. Where did adulthood go? People don't even act like adults anymore. I don't understand. Here, I want to read this quote to you guys. So, I like this. This is from a guy named Thomas Chatterton Williams. And my friend Ryan sent me this. I like this. I wonder who will figure this out first. 
there's real political opportunity for the multi-ethnic conservatism that forcefully repudiates white nationalism. I agree. Just as there is a desire for a pro-American liberalism that builds on what's best about this society without constantly disparaging it. And people, I really want you to think about that quote. The reason why I constantly disparage you progressive lefties is because I'm sick and tired of hearing you constantly disparage this country, the country that you and I live in together. And I asked my audience in a previous episode, do you have a vested interest in America? Do you feel like it's a part of you? And do you even care? Apathy is going to kill this country. Is just as just as narcissism and egomaniacs, egomania running wild. Radical individualism. Like I might I might be a liberty-minded guy, but I know that there are places that we have to draw the line. We have to come together. We have to cooperate. We got to get out of this divide and conquer. I'm so married to my team. I'm so married to my side of the aisle. Bullshit. When are you going to grow up and be smarter than that crap? The left-right paradigm is just another system of control. Put in place for a very specific purpose. And if you don't understand that, you shouldn't be talking. You shouldn't even be in conversations. Because you don't know what you're talking about. And I'm not trying to, you know, come after you and say that you, you got, you know, I mean, I know I talk shit. I call you stupid, idiot, moron, dipshit, hypocrite, holier than thou, uh, ivory tower living, uh, whatevers, right? And I'm sorry, but some of you people, you're out there. You're out there walking around, saying stupid shit, doing stupid shit. No intellectual curiosity, no intellectual honesty, no courage. You know, I mean, what, are we just going to do this forever? Einstein's definition of insanity, people, doing the same thing over and over and over and over again and expecting a different result. That's Einstein's definition of insanity, people. It's my definition of stupidity. So that's why I talk shit. Because I think that some of these worldviews out there are stupid. <laughs> not well thought out. Not fully thought all the way through. The logic flow falls apart. We're getting away from enlightenment principles, the ability to form an argument, the, for, the, the ability to even debate and have a conversation with people. A lot of you far lefties and far righties can't even do that. You just label the other group as the other. You're never going to come together. 
It can only end in violence. At what point are we going to grow up and shake each other's hands and say, hey, we have our differences. We don't see eye to eye on everything. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with disagreeing peacefully. And if you can't disagree peacefully, you are the problem with this country. At least part of the problem with this country. So, anyway, the same friend that sent me that quote also recommended a book to me. And I think you should all go pick up this book and read it. I'm definitely going to do it. I have not read it yet, but I did read uh, the write-up on this book from the Princeton University Press. And I'm going to run this by you guys. I think this is going to have some very good stuff in it. And I think we should all go take a look. The book title is called We Have Never Been Woke by Musa Al-Garbi. And I want to read this to you and just think about it. Themes up quite nicely with the subject matter today. Here we go. Preview of the book We Have Never Been Woke from the Princeton University Press. Here we go. One camp in America describes the United States as a wash in racism, sexism, transphobia, xenophobia, and other forms of degradation and exclusion. While another camp claims that identity politics is tearing the country apart. Meanwhile, socioeconomic inequality has been growing rapidly in the United States and around much of the world, further accelerated in the aftermath of the 2008 financial crisis and the wake of COVID-19. There is growing distrust of scientists, journalists, and government bureaucrats, an erosion of faith in the United States institutions, and at least apparently growing disagreement about basic Facts. In 2016, Americans elected a president who gleefully touted his lack of government experience or substantive knowledge about the issues, but who pledged to take the country back from the deep state, globalist elites, and social justice warriors. In 2020, said president declined to accept his loss and his supporters stormed the Capitol building as the electoral votes are being certified in an attempt to stop the steal. Okay? In the aftermath, his opponents have called for the president, his associates, and his sympathizers to be purged from public life and perhaps especially public service. Some have gone so far as to champion a new war on terror against the deplorables of this their worldview. These are not separate stories. They are all part of the same basic story. It is a story about the rise of a new class of social elites who have not attained their social position by owning material assets, nor by developing or trading material goods or services. Instead, they transfer in symbols and rhetoric images and narratives, data and analysis, ideas 
and abstractions. Drawing from Robert Reich, we can refer to this class of new elites as symbolic analysts. And although I disagree on a lot of stuff with Mr. Robert Reich, uh, I do like the term symbolic analysts. Uh, for you liberty-minded people, what he's talking about is graft and pull from the Ayn Rand quote. When you see that uh, exchange is happening, not from those from who from who produce, but from those who trade in favors, whatever, I butchered that, but that's the basic gist of that, okay? And also, before I move on, we can argue about how uh, the storming of the Capitol building and the Stop the Steal story, how severe that really was. And if you want my opinion on that, go back and listen to my Enough Already episode where I clearly illustrate that nobody, not a single fucking person, my fellow Americans, were arrested for the crime of insurrection, if it's even a crime, like Assistant A.G. Olson told us, on the Senate floor. So spare me the the uh, severity of those events. It's a joke, and I proved it in my Enough Already episode, in my humble opinion. Okay, let's move on. Over the last four decades, symbolic analysts have come to control uh, an ever larger share of social and financial capital in the United States and have reshaped the economy, politics, and the dominant culture to reflect their values, interests, tastes, and priorities. Although these new elites present themselves as champions of the marginalized, vulnerable, and disadvantaged, Upward social mobility has stagnated under their tenure. Get it through your heads. Republicans and Democrats both. Upward social mobility has stagnated under their, meaning both the left and the right, Republicans and Democrats, tenure. Both in the United States and in other OECD nations, even as total factor productivity has stalled out. Simultaneously, and perhaps more importantly, a growing share of the population feels excluded from the dominant culture and locked out of decision making altogether. And they are not taking it lying down. They are revolting. Okay, where was I? Put simply, the core tension of roiling U.S. society and other Western societies, for that matter, is fundamentally not about whether science, education, or journalism are good or whether minorities should enjoy basic civil rights. Symbolic analysts like to frame the conflict as being about these things because it allows them to position themselves as being on the side of truth or reason, the vulnerable and the disadvantaged, while their opponents are portrayed as being on the side of ignorance, fanaticism, oppression, exploitation, and the like. That is 
the losers in the system are portrayed as being somehow responsible for most social problems. And it is implied that giving still more power or authority to those who currently dominate the system will somehow solve those problems. This book aims to deflate these self-serving narratives explaining how, despite their expressed commitments to egalitarianism, symbolic analysts have established a social order that is fundamentally premised on exclusion, exploitation, and condescension. He's describing the divide-and-conquer agenda. And people like me and you progressive lefties out there, both of us can learn from this book, I think. So I'm going to highly recommend that both sides of the aisle, all you lefties and all you righties out there, go and pick it up. Since the publication of Anand Giridharada's best-selling Winners Take All, uh, there has been a good deal of attention of how the super-rich use philanthropy as a means of shaping society in accordance with their own tastes and interests under the auspices of helping others. Oh, boy, do I love that. Boy, do I love that sentence so much. Both you lefties and you righties out there, we have so much to learn from that phrase. often exacerbating the very problems they claim to be trying to solve. However, millionaires and billionaires are not capable of creating, enforcing, managing, and perpetuating society and culture all on their own. You got to participate, people. You got to get involved. You can't just stand on the sidelines and bitch and cry and complain about how bad you got it when you aren't even lifting a single finger to help yourself, your country, or your neighbor. So maybe quit talking and maybe get to work. More realistically, to understand those interests are being served by a social order to see how it is formed, reproduced, and sustained we should look at the upper quintile of society, the top 20%. As Richard Reeves has demonstrated, opportunity hoarding by those in the upper quintile, not just the top 1%, have driven the stagnating social mobility and rising inequality in recent decades. And I want to stop right there. Uh, when I was in college, 2010 or 2009 I graduated, I did my senior sociology project on... Uh, the reality of social mobility in this country. And uh, my hypothesis was that uh, there was not very much social mobility back in 2010, 2009. And I, my, I pulled from a lot of census uh, data, research, uh, a bunch of different demographic studies and stuff. And what I found was that actually there's a lot of social mobility in this country. Uh, most people in the middle, the top 10%, the, the bottom 10%, kind of stay in a holding pattern. They kind of stay pretty uh, lower uh, class to lower middle class. And there's a lot of bottom 10% dropping. I'm sorry, the top 10% dropping to the bottom 10% and vice versa. Meaning the movers and the shakers, the people that are willing to take the risks, 
have a higher risk reward ratio. You could win really big or you could lose your ass and lose everything. So, and that's pretty much a good representation of human nature altogether. Some people are going to reach for the stars and the majority of people are going to just get by and not put themselves out there too much. They're playing the long game, I guess. They don't want to do the risk. They don't want to lose their ass, right? In the contemporary United States, the upper quintile includes those with a total household income in excess of $130,000 per year. That's the upper quintile in the United States. 130k per year and up. This is an income bracket dominated by symbolic analysts, as illustrated in Richard Florida's The Rise of the Creative Class. And he's got some uh, uh, Department of Labor, Bureau of Labor Statistics uh, numbers on that. Uh, if you want to take a look at this, it's uh, musaalgarby.com, and I'm sure you can find the press release. Uh, given that most symbolic analysts are dual breadwinner households, Many reach the upper quintile without either partner individually meeting or exceeding a six-figure income. And I've talked about that in the past. Remember the baby boomer generation where one person's income could afford a home, a house, food on the table, vacations, yada, yada, etc., etc., right? Consequently, many, many in the upper quintile erroneously assume they are not elites, <laughs> Indeed, as sociologist Rachel Sherman showed, even many who do have six and even seven-figure incomes insist that they are simply middle class and attempt to define themselves in contradiction to wealthy people whom they describe as greedy, materialistic, ostentatious, privileged, etc., but most importantly, unlike themselves. People, this is what I mean when I say you got to look in the fucking mirror. You got to be able to have uh, something to compare yourself to. You got to think big picture, put it all together before you form your opinion. You can't just look at your life and think that everybody is exactly like you. You can't just self-identify as something that you clearly are not. <laughs> I mean, you can if you believe in postmodernism, but I mean, there is objective truth and reality in this world, people. I'm sorry. There just is. Like it or not, okay? Looking at the upper quintile would, of course, include the millionaires and billionaires. However, it would also count the people who actually run nonprofits, government bureaucracies, corporations, universities, and other institutions through which the 1% often attempt to exert their will. It would include those who shape public understanding of social reality as scholars, journalists, civic and religious leaders, teachers, artists, etc. Indeed, Research in the United States and around the world has shown that class, per se, is not the biggest driver of growing inequality and declining social mobility today. But instead, that certain professions have been increasingly hoarding opportunities and power at the expense of the rest of society. That's debatable. And transferring social capital across generations by means of those professions. Professions associated with symbolic analysts and the knowledge economy are the primary drivers of these trends. And that's true because the people that are able to move uh, action 
and power in the world. Yeah, I mean, they they pretty much are just investing in stuff at this point. They're probably living off the interest of their fortunes. They don't really have to have jobs, but that doesn't mean they're not working, people. You got to get that through your heads. The rich and powerful probably work five, ten times more than you do. Believe it or not. Indeed, as Seamus Khan has argued, it is probably too narrow a view to focus purely on criteria like wealth or income in order to determine who is part of the elite. Symbolic analysts' dominance over knowledge production, culture, (laughs) knowledge production, God, I love that, culture, institutional bureaucracies, etc., often affords us even more clout than our relatively high incomes would suggest. That's for sure, especially in the social media tech world. And no less than the super rich, we symbolic analysts attempt to shape the system in accordance with our own will and priorities. We facilitate the operation of the prevailing order, ensure its continued viability, and implement reforms. Put another way, we do not stand outside of society. Duh. Nor are we neutral observers of the prevailing order. Symbolic analysts do not passively receive nor mindlessly execute the dictates of the 1%. After all, most of the railing most of the railing against the super rich comes not from the working class, but from symbolic analysts. <laughs> it is from the very people that the 1% rely upon to understand the world and exert influence over it. Yet no less than the super elites described in Gerarda's book, symbolic analysts dress up our attempts to consolidate power behind high-minded rhetoric about empowering the marginalized and vulnerable. We, too, play a major role in fomenting the very problems that we present ourselves as the solution to. Fantastic point, and clearly I am guilty of this, just like the progressive left is guilty of this. And anybody and everybody in between. We're all human beings. We all take an idea a little too far sometimes. Get a little fundamentalist, little kooky, nutty, wha- uh, wacky nut job, right? And then you got to bring it back to center. Stop making decisions and thinking that you are being rational when you're being emotional. Remember Edward Bernays? Human beings are irrational creatures that think they are rational. <laughs> oh boy, we're all we're all human beings, people. We're all victims of this stuff, myself included. And yet, as we have never been woke, will demonstrate the Americans who are the primary producers and consumers of content on anti-racism, socialism, feminism, etc., also happen to be among the primary beneficiaries of gendered, radicalized, and other forms of inequality, and not passive beneficiaries. Mm -mm -mm. We are active participants in exploiting and reproducing inequalities. It's true. Both the left and the right are guilty of that. 
And yet it is difficult to us for us to see how we contribute to the problem, precisely because of our deeply felt commitments to social justice. <laughs> uh, social justice. So we expropriate blame to others, often people who benefit far less from the system than we do, and exert far less influence over it. And when these others take umbrage at being characterized this way, this opposition is itself held up as proof that our narratives are correct. For instance, a white person objecting to the notion of white fragility is often held up as evidence of their white fragility. <laughs> mm. That is a great point. Great point. However, this book is not intended to be a polemic against symbolic analysts or their beliefs. After all, the author is himself a member of this group, as would be most readers. <laughs> I love that. He's saying that this applies to all of you, no matter what you believe about yourself and about your party and about your, your team, okay? In We Have Never Been Modern, Bruno Latour called for a symmetrical anthropology, insisting that social researchers study and discuss their own societies and cultures in the same way they analyze primitive or pre-modern ones. Which means you're going to have to learn your history, which is something I've been trying to jam down your throats since episode one of this podcast. History is very, very, very important. And if you don't know it, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm sorry. That's objective reality, okay? He then proceeded to illustrate the power of this approaching... I'm sorry. He, he then proceeded to illustrate the power of this approach by turning the analytical gaze towards modernity, demonstrating that the narratives moderns tell themselves about what makes them unique, in fact, obscures the nature of the modern world, making it difficult for its denizens to properly understand and effectively address contemporary social problems. Mic drop. Love that. Let us... Uh, I'm sorry, just as Latour encouraged readers to turn the anthropological lens toward their own societies and cultures, and then proceeded to model this approach as a modern himself, We Have Never Been Woke is a work by a symbolic analyst about symbolic analysts, primarily for symbolic analysts. And I think you can make the argument that we are all in some way, shape, or form, a symbolic analyst of sorts at times. Maybe not all the time, but we all definitely exhibit this behavior, especially in the tech, social media world. It's a new reality. The technology has changed human behavior. And more of that is coming. We Have Never Been Woke is a work by a symbolic analyst about symbolic analysts, primarily for symbolic analysts, looking at our history, the social order we've created, and the ideologies used to justify that social order. It will demonstrate how symbolic analysts' preferred narratives about social problems often inhibit our ability to accurately understand and adequately address those problems. We Have Never Been Woke will draw from, build upon, and unite the robust body of work I've built over the last six years explaining the rise of Trump, the crisis of expertise, the great awakening, and growing social inequality. It will demonstrate 
uh, each of these domains as a front of a broader social and cultural conflict. It will highlight the ways symbolic analysts deploy wokeness as a weapon in this conflict, often at the expense of those who are actually marginalized and disadvantaged in the prevailing order. Amen. It will dismantle popular and self-serving narratives about the losers in the system, leaving readers with a totally different understanding of social inequality and unnerving questions about what it would take to meaningfully address it. Hmm. I like that. I'm going to read this book. I'm going to go pick this book up. In much the same way that Latour encouraged the development of a symmetrical anthropology, this work seeks to encourage and model reflexivity, a social science, uh, social scientific principle stating that general theories should also apply to the theorists themselves, just like all government action should also apply to the lawmakers and politicians themselves. Don't you think? As well as the institutions they are embedded in, the actors and causes they support, etc. For instance, if we want to understand systemic inequality, we must include academics, journalists, social justice activists, progressive politicians, dutiful bureaucrats, nonprofit workers, at all in the model alongside those that symbolic analysts are less sympathetic towards such as Trump voters or the 1%. By folding ourselves and our allies into the analytical picture, the analytical picture, in this way we can get a much richer understanding of how social problems emerge and persist and what can be done about them. Granted, the image that gets reflected back to us will often be unflattering. And that's exactly what this podcast is all about. Being willing and able to look at that reflection. To be able to really see yourself. And sometimes what you see is often unflattering. And it should be. Because you need to strive to be better tomorrow than you were today, in my humble opinion. However, the upshot is that we have the capacity to do better if we don't like what we see. Amen. I agree. And I hope you guys all go pick up this book. We Have Never Been Woke by Musa Al-Garbi. M-U-S-A-A-L. G-H-A-R-B-I. And with that, people, I I just want to say I'm going to strive to try to be nicer to to you progressive lefties out there, you social justice warriors, you socialist, communist sympathizers, I'm going to try to be nicer to you guys. I'm going to try. Um, I, I, I'm extending the olive branch. I'm reaching across the aisle. I'm, cry, I'm trying to bring it... I'm not crying. <laughs> I'm trying to bring it back to center. At what point do we all decide to grow up, get involved... And try consciously in our own lives 
to do something good for our society, to respect our neighbor, love our neighbor as ourself. Fight the divide and conquer agenda. It's working. And this book illustrates that. Everything I've been talking about on this podcast illustrates that. My own behavior and opinions illustrate that. I'm an open book, people. I have weaknesses and strengths just like everybody else. And my dislike and distrust of the progressive left is an area of opportunity for me, obviously. If you've been listening to my podcast, you know that. (laughs) I'm trying to get better. I'm trying. I'm doing everything I can. I'm trying to be more cooperative. I'm trying to be more open-minded. I'm trying to be more logical and rational. And I hope you are too. If you're a listener of my show, I hope I'm not whipping you guys up into fundamentalist radicalism. That's not my goal. I'm not trying to do that. I passionately, dramatically talk about uh, concepts and topics that matter to me, obviously. But I'm all about that peaceful revolution, baby. Peace, love, unity, and respect. That's how you keep a society together. You be better than the bullshit behavior. I'm going to call that the rule of B. (laughs) Be better than your bullshit behavior. It's good advice. I find that to be good advice. All right. I hope you guys liked this episode. I feel like canceling Karl Marx was necessary just to prove a point. But I'm not trying to like be equally guilty. I'm trying to show our behavior to ourselves. This canceling people, not letting people make mistakes, shutting them down, demonizing them and ostracizing them and shunning them out of uh, civil society. It's not civil society anymore. It's uncivil society. And that's a problem. Your participation in it is your contribution to it. And I think we all have something to learn from the book, We Have Never Been Woke. My question to you, my fellow Americans, is, are you awake? People, it's time to play some punk rock. Alright people, you know what time it is, it's time to play some punk rock, and you know what, I'm just going to finish kind of featuring my old band Nonprofit's 2007 release, The Catalyst EP. Um, The reason why I'm doing this is because I played in a previous podcast uh, the song Something to Prove uh, for you. Uh, That's the one that was based on the James W. Lowen book, Lies My Teacher Told Me. Um, I played American Tragedy a couple episodes back. Uh, I played Nonprofit at the end of the Time to Punch Right episode. And 
I think there's three songs left on this EP. And today I'm going to play for you the poppiest pop punk song I've probably ever written. <laughs> uh, I, di I didn't write it alone. I, I, I worked with um, Neil and Zernan from my band Nonprofit pro predominantly. And uh, Ryan Green helped out with uh, some transitional parts. Uh, and he also had the band Uncommon Men from Mars uh, that are actually or were from France. I think the members have gone on to start other bands now uh, at this point. Um, but they did some great four-part harmony uh, on this track. And, you know, it's a song about coming of age and parenting and being a good parent, being a good friend, uh, being a good family member, uh, teaching people what they need to know, not being an asshole. Uh, and, you know, just kind of, it's a song about going through all that stuff and, and trying to figure out who you are. Uh, sometimes, you know, everybody's trying to tell you who to be. Your family, for sure. Your family's trying to tell you how you should be. Your TV screen's trying to tell you how you should be. If you go to church, your church is telling you how you should be. Your school is definitely nowadays telling you how you should be. Your friends are full of shitty advice. Everybody's got an idea about how you should be, how you should act, how you should think. And I'm here to tell you, you got to shut that shit up. You got to walk your own path. You got to find your own way in this world. First, you got to decide what kind of person you want to be. And then you got to decide what you love to do. So once you have your purpose and once you have your plan, now you can go do what you love and hopefully make some money doing it. Yeah, from here here and there, you might have to sell your labor for a wage <laughs> on the market, right? To make some money for you to put toward that goal, toward that plan. Maybe you just got to pay off some bills. You know, it takes money to make money. Maybe you started making some investments in your plan. Now that you have your goal, now that you have your purpose, now that you know who you are. And you know what kind of person you want to be. You know what kind of, uh, you know, methods of making money, doing what you love, and giving what you have to offer to society. You know, it, your goals are attainable, people. Your dreams can come true in the United States of America. So we once thought. <laughs> right? I mean, the dream is still possible. Don't get me wrong. There are people doing very, very, very well for themselves. And then there are also people that are doing very well for themselves, but they're lying, cheating, and stealing in order to do it. Graft and pull. Trading in favors. Instead of busting their ass and following their purpose, following their goal, following their plan. And it sucks. You know, it makes it makes you ask yourself, you know, if there's 15-year-old kids on TikTok and on, you know, whatever, YouTube, making millions of dollars, just being themselves, they just found a niche, people were in interested, and people started listening and watching, right? 
It can be something that simple. And technology has given us that opportunity. Just like technology has given the powers that be the opportunity to use that technology against us. And I know I'm kind of going off on a crazy tangent right now. But I'm just trying to motivate you. I'm trying to educate you. I'm trying to share my experiences. I'm not trying to give you advice. Because I don't really like giving people advice. Unless they ask for it. Or unless I'm doing this podcast and I'm talking shit. You know, whatever. (laughs) But I'm hoping, I want to be helpful. And I'm hoping that I am helping. I'm hoping that this podcast is helping you in some small way. I don't care what you get out of it. So long as you get something out of it. Life is hard. And it's going to get harder. And I just hope, you know, I just hope I'm helping. I want to be giving back. I want to be helping people. Showing them certain roads. Hey, have you been down this road? Maybe you should take a walk. Discover for yourself. And I, and I mean it, people. Life, I know life is hard. It's not easy. And believe me when I tell you, it's going to get very, very difficult in the coming days i've been re- i've been receiving a lot of email there's been a lot of email interaction lately um podcast is doing very well uh it is definitely growing and it's exciting for me to see that and again i love you guys thank you for listening i just want us to help each other out man you know try not to be so tribal Try not to be such a dick to people. Try to help them, show them. And if you get pushed back, hey, you know, drop it. Walk away. You're going to get pushed back. You got to be more selective about who you talk to about certain things, right? You can't just bring it up in a conversation with anybody because some people are going to think you're crazy and not believe you. Some people are going to use what you said against you. No wonder there's secret societies in this world. How else do people uh, ever get anything done? (laughs) You know what I'm saying, people? Like, just because all this stuff that I talk about on my podcast is real and the history is real, I'm not making it up. It's not conspiracy theory. That doesn't mean that people don't take those ideas and twist them into crazy nutjob things, right? That's why you got to be in control of your own mind. Because... It is easy to radicalize people. Oh, yeah. Especially in a country like the United States where every single person is so medicated and media manipulated and brainwashed and controlled and everything you've been told in your schools is bullshit. It's, that's his story, the story of the victors. Who knows what really happened in the past? But you can go look stuff up, people. Instead of blabbing your mouths around social media, acting like you know everything, maybe turn social media off for a little bit. Go pick up a nice book and read. I hope this song makes you feel good. This song is called Letting Go. And I really want my listeners 
to just let go. If there's something going on in your life, trauma, old trauma from the past, you're trying to work out, you don't know where some of your crazy behavior comes from, you're trying to figure out what happened in your past, that you still have that anger rooted deep down inside of you, that angst, that fight or flight feeling, you know, the reasons why you love punk rock so much. We all got it. We all got a reason. We probably got a lot of reasons. Striving for freedom. Freedom from the system. Your family, your church, your community, your school. Whatever. Sometimes you just want to kung fu. David Carradine. I don't know if you youngsters understand or uh, know that reference. But he used to be a kung fu guy. Walked the earth. Just got into adventures. I don't think he even had a backpack. But in this day and age, I recommend, you know, if you're going to walk the path, go get a backpack. A backpack. <laughs> you're going to need some shit. <laughs> oh, boy. I know I'm babbling. I know I'm going off on crazy tangents right now. But some of you have said you like my stream of consciousness, ADD, nut job shit. So I just hope you guys like this song. Thanks for listening. I am Andrew for America. This has been the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast. And here we go. This is the song Letting Go. One of the poppiest punk rock songs I ever did write. And if you listen to the lyrics, I think you're going to be able to find a line that you can relate to. And here we go.
Okay, people, that was my old band, Nonprofit, with the song Letting Go. <laughs> you know, where does someone draw the line? I've tried so hard, but I cannot decide. I guess I'll never know. <laughs> Look at what you teach. Practice what you preach. I don't think it's that far out of reach. Thank you for listening. I am Andrew for America. This has been episode 83 of the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast. Thank you. Good night. We'll see you next time. This has been episode 83 of the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast. Entitled, Cancel Karl Marx. He's a racist. We'll see you next time.